Well, thank you so much, and greetings from Oklahoma City. It's been an incredible pleasure to be here at First Church. We've had a chance to see your campuses and to experience the ministry and mission of this great church, and we're honored to be a part of it this morning. I bring you greetings from MacU, where we prepare people to do great things for God and his kingdom. On September 14th, we will be celebrating our 70th birthday, having been founded in Houston, Texas in 1953. We moved to Oklahoma City in 1985, and today we have over 2,700 students, about a third of whom are on campus and two-thirds online, studying ministry, business, counseling, education, and so much more. We were founded to train leaders for ministry in the Church of God, and we are committed to that same vision today. We've trained leaders like David and Crystal Culp and Jake Seaton, and we're training leaders today like Chance Adams, Ben Harlan, and Sammy Johnson. And we're so honored to help young men and women uh, dream big and do great for God's kingdom. It's an exciting time, and I just wanted to come today to say thank you for your support of MACU. I want to say thank you first and foremost for your prayers. Great things are happening on campus. We had 15 students confess Jesus is Lord in the first chapel this semester. We have over 300 athletes who are anointed with oil and who are going out to serve as they are witness for Christ in their sport. It's an incredible time of growth with um, all the residence halls full and our largest incoming class, and specifically the largest incoming ministry class in many, many years. I wanna say, say thank you for your faithful support. The, the gifts that you have given through the years have helped to make it possible that when a student wants to study ministry, they can come and do so at little or no cost to them. We've got an incredible campus. I'd love to invite you to visit us or go onto our website. And I see so many young people today who are here on fire for Jesus. We'd love to have you as evangelists at MacU someday. Thank you so much for being a part of the, the MacU family. And thank you for all you do right here in Southwest Michigan. God bless. Christ from the very beginning. 
So they talked about Jesus and they talked about God. They talked about the Holy Spirit and they sang songs all about Jesus, even though they knew their child didn't totally understand it at that point. And then the child grew some more. And at about six years old, she just became plagued. She just became plagued with anxiety, crippling anxiety, anxiety that, that affected her all day long, affected the family, affected her ability to do anything, to go to school, to play with friends. It was just absolutely crippling and devastating to her. And just like many of us who have dealt with anxiety, her response was anger. She got so angry. So much anger in this little body, this little six-year-old body. She would become violent and so upset. And the parents didn't know what to do because they weren't angry people. And they prayed for her and asked God's help and asked his intervention in her life. But it seemed like nothing was working. And one day, the mom was just at her wit's end. She had struggled with this daughter all day. Her little sister, bless her heart, never knew what to do. And she would go into her room and she would pray for her older sister. And the mom was watching this happen and she just thought, I can't do it this way anymore. So at night, after the girls had gone to sleep, the mom goes into the older daughter's bedroom, gets on her knees beside her bed, and puts her forehead on the mattress. And says to God, I cannot do it this way anymore. I can't do this alone. And that petition, that cry for help, changed the course of their lives. Because in that moment, in that cry for help, there was a door that was open for a little bitty whisper of God to come through. The mom was there, heads were pressed against the mattress, saying, I don't even know how to pray for her anymore. How do you want me to pray for her? And a whisper of God came. And he said, Pray that I soften her heart. And the mom thought to herself, Soften her heart? She's six years old. How does a six year old have a hard heart? But God kept saying it over and over and over again. Pray that I soften her heart. And so the mom went in and told the dad and said, I believe that this is what God is saying to me, that we need to pray to soften her heart. And so they together agreed that they would be praying that very specific thing. And they began to watch. Isn't it interesting that a soft heart must be really important to God. If that's his whisper in a cry for help, a soft heart must be really important. But why is a soft heart so important? Why is it important for us to not have hardened hearts towards him and towards each other? In Jeremiah, chapters 18 and 19, God says to Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. Go to the potter's house and I want you to watch the potter. I want you to watch him as he shapes and molds the clay. So Jeremiah did that. He goes down to the potter's house and he watches as the potter shapes and molds the clay on the wheel. And God says to Jeremiah, the people Israel are like clay in my hands. 
But you see, the interesting thing about clay is that it has to be soft in order to be molded. Once it's put in the kiln and it's hardened, the only way to shape it is to break it. And our hearts are the same way. Our hearts have to be soft in order to be molded and shaped by God. In Ezekiel, God had said to Ezekiel, my people have gone far, far away. They've been disobedient. They have strayed from me. They've gone far, far away. But I want you to know I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is what God wants for us. It's important to him that we have soft hearts to be molded and shaped. But what does a hard heart look like? What does a hard heart look like in our lives? And I'm going to tell you, it does not look like the person sitting next to you. As much as you think it might look like them. Don't point your finger at them. A hard heart is often angry, like that sweet little girl. A hard heart is usually very selfish, very self-focused. A hard heart is disobedient. And a hard heart is prideful. So in our lives, if we're sensing these things, if we're sensing anger, selfishness, disobedience, pride, that's the sign of a hard heart. And a hard heart can only be shaped by being broken. But a soft heart, a soft heart is not easily angered. A soft heart is others-focused. A soft heart is obedient to what God is saying. And a soft heart is humble. So today, we're going to do a little experiment. We're just going to do a little, a little object lesson to see what it means to have a soft heart. Because the great thing about having a soft heart, when you're moldable, you can be shaped by every word that God says. And when we're shaped by the words that he says, we take out scripture and we read it and it starts to shape and mold who we are. But the great thing about who God is, is that he's talking now too. Scripture tells us what he said in the past. He also is alive and at work in a dynamic relationship with you and me today. So we want to know what he has said because that's who he is. And we want to know what he is saying because all of that shapes a softened heart. So our little object lesson today is we're going to pull some scripture out from Matthew 14. And we're going to look at a story and we're going to see how his words shape us when we have a softened heart. So Jesus had just come from performing a miracle in front of thousands of people. He took some loaves and some fish and everybody was hungry. And so he gave thanks to God and they multiplied and they fed more than 5,000 people. 5,000 guys, which actually eat a lot. And then also men and women, I'm sorry, also women and children. So a lot of people. Some scholars say it could have been up to 15,000 people ate from just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. So we'd just come from that, and right prior to that, Jesus had just found out that his cousin and one of his best friends, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. So I want you to picture yourself in that kind of a day. Your cousin has just been beheaded, and you just fed 15,000 people. You can imagine that you might be a little bit tired. 
And so when all of that was done, Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat on the lake. He says, you go ahead and cross over. I'm going to stay here and pray. So he goes off and he begins to pray. They're out on the lake in a boat and there's a huge storm that comes up. Huge storm, not like a Michigan storm, more like an Oklahoma storm. We know storms in Oklahoma, big bad storm that causes lots of waves and lots of sound and lots of lightning and lots of thunder, crazy storm. So the disciples are out in the boat in this crazy storm. Jesus is over praying, but then Jesus realizes that they need his help. So instead of doing the thing that the rest of us would do, which is get a boat, get in the boat and row to the disciples. Nope, Jesus does what's quicker. Do you remember what he does? He walks on the water, exactly. So he just steps off the dry land onto that raging sea, walks out towards the boat. Don't you love how fast Jesus is? He doesn't even need to take a boat. So he walks out, gets close to the boat where the disciples are. They see him and they are terrified. They don't think to themselves, oh, good, Jesus is here. It's all going to be okay now. No, that's not what they think. They start screaming and they say, it's a ghost. Oh my gosh, it's a ghost. Because they're scared. Now, the interesting thing about this part of the story is Then, you know, picture them all in the boat. Jesus there, and he says some words. Some words that shape us. Words that can shape a softened heart. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Whoa. Those are some shaping words for a soft heart. For a hard heart, when we hear those words, when we hear, don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here, a hard heart is going to sit in the boat and look at Jesus and say, well, why didn't you get here sooner? Why did you tell us to go out in the boat in the first place? Aren't you supposed to know everything? That's what a hard heart does. Sits in the boat, arms crossed, disobedient, prideful, selfish, angry. But then you have a soft heart. If a soft heart can be shaped by every word he says, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here, then what does a soft heart do in that situation? A soft heart looks out at Jesus and says, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out of the boat and walk to you on the water. And that's exactly what Peter says. Peter usually gets a bad rap, right? Like, he's just being rash. No, but hey, I think it's great. Because people with a soft heart, when Jesus comes up and says words that begin to shape you and mold you, you begin to hear the truth and you check it out. And that's what Peter did. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you walking on the water. So we're going to push pause here in the story for just a moment because I think it's really important what Peter does. I think when you're in the midst of a storm and you have been shaped by what God says, it's really important to check and make sure it's God. Because when the wind is howling and the waves are crashing and it's really loud, it's sometimes really hard to tell where God is. So I love it that Peter doesn't just hop out of the boat. I love it that Peter says, if it's you, 
then tell me to get out. Many of you will remember the gymnast Carrie Strug. Carrie Strug was a part of the magnificent seven of gymnasts in the World Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta, Georgia. And this magnificent seven had people like Shannon Miller on the team, a good Oklahoma girl, also a lady called Dominique Dawes. These women were incredible athletes. Carrie was kind of in the background while several others were in the foreground, but she was still a part of this great team. And the very interesting thing, if you know any of your Olympic history, is that the Russians and the Americans were always in high competition for gymnastics. And in this particular set, they were running through all of their uh, rotations in the competition, and Carrie is getting ready to do the vault. And at this point, the Russians are just slightly ahead of the Americans, like neck and neck. But they still had a few more rotations to go, so Carrie, if she did well on this vault, they could almost seal the deal. So Carrie gets ready, she runs down that runway, she springs off the board, she vaults, and then when she comes down, she said she heard the pop in her ankle. And there was so much momentum that the bone in her ankle went forward and then popped back into place. And in the process, it broke two ligaments in her ankle. So she stands there, she poses, she goes off to her coach, and they have 30 seconds to decide if they need Carrie to do one more vault to secure the deal. Can you imagine? And as they're pondering and talking back and forth, Carrie looks at her coach and says, do we need this? And her coach paused and thought, and she looked at Carrie and said, we need you to go one more time. So Carrie, on a very hurt ankle, gets back to the back of the runway. She takes the runway again, springs off the board, vaults, lands, and she said it felt like a bomb went off in her ankle. She lifted up her ankle. She posed to the judges, posed to the side, and then collapsed. But she got the gold. When God is asking you to do something awesome, when his words are shaping your heart because you've allowed faith and love for him to soften your heart so that he can shape and mold you into something he wants you to be, there are times when you need to say, do we need this? Is this you, God? Because if it is, I'll step out of the boat. If it's you and you're with me, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. But just because you have to ask that doesn't mean you don't have faith. It actually means you have a soft heart that is ready to be molded by what God says. So that's what Peter does. He says this to Jesus. If it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to walk on you or walk on water towards you. So he does that. He swings his leg over the boat. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, you guys have a lake here. Like, we are very landlocked in Oklahoma, so I'm not on the water very much. But you have this huge, beautiful lake that I'm sure you have seen have waves and crashing, and you've seen it in a storm. Can you imagine stepping out of a perfectly good boat to get out and walk on that water? 
leaving the people in the boat with the hard hearts who are standing there with their arms crossed, frustrated that God didn't come sooner. But you step out onto this raging sea. But the beauty of a softened heart is that when God says, yes, come, which is what Jesus said to Peter, yes, come, then your heart that has been softened and shaped by what he is saying, you step out of that boat as a response to that, and then you get to see the result of the shaping. You get to see it manifesting and taking place because when God shapes our hearts, it should affect everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do, and every step that we take. That's what shaping looks like. And then when he steps out of the boat and he's walking towards Jesus, the beautiful thing about this is those waves are crashing, but Peter is closer to Jesus than anybody else that's in the boat. Did you ever think about that? Sometimes we watch hard-hearted people, or we are one ourselves, and we're back here in the boat, and we're happy because we feel safer. But for those of us that have taken the step, and we look back and we think, what did I just do? But then you look forward to what you're walking towards, and that's way better than a boat. He was closer to Jesus than anybody else in the boat. So let's talk about the waves for a moment. Because as Peter steps out and he's looking at Jesus, he's able to walk on the water, but then he takes his eyes off Jesus. And he doesn't just take his eyes off Jesus and start daydreaming. He looks around and he sees the waves and he hears the wind and sees the lightning and the thunder and everything is crazy and he becomes terrified. You know, it's interesting what does cause waves in a body of water. You can have offshore storms that move in, that causes waves. You can have surface winds that blow across the surface of the water, that can cause waves. You can have big things like gravitational poles and submarine earthquakes, and those can cause waves. Lots of different things can cause waves. The same is true in our lives. When we are fixed on Jesus and then we get distracted by all of the things causing the waves, by those offshore storms that are coming, like we see them coming and we're terrified, or because of those winds that blow across our lives and in our work and in our marriage and in, with our kids and our family, and it just becomes annoying. Or then you've got those submarine earthquakes in your life, the things that knock you off your foundation. All of those things, if you're not careful, will cause you to shift your eyes from Jesus to all the other things. But a softened heart that has heard God say, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here, is able to be molded by those things. And at this point... Peter had already heard Jesus say things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He'd already heard Jesus say things like, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He'd already seen Jesus lift 
an incredibly puny amount of food to God and say thank you. And then he saw it multiplied to feed everybody in the space. And he'd already been in a boat with Jesus where there was a storm and Jesus was asleep and the disciples were terrified and Peter has already heard Jesus in the middle of a storm look out at the storm and say, peace be still. Peter had already heard all of those things. And because his heart was soft and all of those words had shaped who Peter is, then when he was facing the storm, he doesn't say, I'm just going to tread water here. I'll be fine. Just wait till the storm passes. He doesn't look at Jesus and say, I got this. I'll be fine. You go on and help the disciples because they're worse off than me. No, because Peter had a softened heart and because he'd heard Jesus say all these things that had shaped who he was, his response to the fear of the things going on around him was, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Because that's the response of a softened heart in the midst of a storm. When you've done what God has asked, when you've taken the step of faith, the response of a softened heart that can be molded and shaped is, please save me. Now, our, our culture would tell us that that's a sign of weakness. But our God tells us that that is a sign of strength. Our culture would tell us that a hardened heart is a sign of strength. That if you're tough and you're unmoving and if you're un, unwielding, you're not going to be able to touch me. That's what our culture says of a hardened heart. But God says that a softened heart is one that can be made into something beautiful, that doesn't have to be broken to be shaped, that can use the resistance of the potter, that the potter places upon the movable clay to make it into something beautiful. Save me, Lord. That is the response of a softened heart. There was a time in the middle of a pandemic, it was probably July of 2020, that our family was really sick of being indoors, you know, and not seeing anybody. You remember that? You remember those days? And uh, we decided, our, our, the girl's cousin had come into town, and Phil and I decided it was time to take them outside and do something. Remember how they were encouraging us to be outside and do activities? So we went to the Oklahoma City River Sport. Okay, so at the river sport, you can do all kinds of cool things. There's zip lining, there's kayaking, there's ropes, courses, all kinds of fun things, downtown Oklahoma City. So we thought, we'll take all the girls there. It'll be super fun. We'll have a great time. And Phil says to me, I think we should go tubing there. And I was like, tubing? Because in my mind, tubing was when we went 20 years before that to the beautiful, serene river floating in Georgia where you could see from the water is clear and it was, you could see all the way down to the bottom and you would sit there and float leisurely down the river. That's what I was picturing. So I said, yes, I would love to do that. I remember when we did that before, I would love that. So he said, okay, so we bought our tickets. We were supposed to be there at two o'clock. We show up and my first clue that this was not gonna be what I thought was when the guy handed me a helmet. 
And so then we went to the next guy and he handed us our tube and he started saying things like, I just want to give you a few pointers. If you fall off the tube, and I wanted to be like, excuse me, why are we falling off the tube? But then he said, if you are falling off the tube, you just want to remember that the riverbed is basically gravel. So don't plant your feet or your hands to try to stabilize yourself because it will rip all the skin off your body. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. So then he says, if you fall off the tube, just lean back in your life jacket and let the river take you down to the end. Okay. So we get our tubes, we have our helmets on, we're walking up the long hill, and there's one entrance for the children, because that'd be a shorter course, and then there's a little bit up here was the entrance for the adults. So I say to Phil, just because I'm trying to be a good mom and all, why don't we go with the kids, right? And he says, no, 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 no. We want to go all the way up to the, the adult entrance. Okay, sure, fine, we do. Okay, so we go all the way up to that entrance. The gentleman who is there puts the tube in. He's holding it. I, I get on the tube. I wave goodbye to Phil, and we're off. And I am holding onto the tube for dear life. And as I crest the first wave, I come up, it, I go airborne, I land, and I'm like, yeah, I got this. So then I crest the second wave, same thing, beautiful mounting off of the waves, and I then land again, and I am thinking that like I could win an Olympic sport at this, at this point. Then the third wave comes, and the third wave takes me up like 100 feet in the air and flips me over, and I, I see my life flash before my eyes, and I come off of the tube into the water, the tube is gone. And I forget everything that the guy says. <laughs> and I plant my feet and my hands and every other part of my body on the riverbed to try to stabilize myself. And he was not wrong. It actually does rip all the skin off your body. And then I remember that he said, just lean back in your life jacket and let it take you down the river. So I do that. I lean back in my life jacket. I'm like, I'm just going to sail through this. I, I got this. And then I slam into a fiberglass barricade. That's not pleasant. So then I'm, again, leaning back, and I slam into another fiberglass barricade. But then I think to myself, I can use this. I can use these fiberglass barricades. So on the next fiberglass barricade, I grab onto it, and I swing myself around to the other side and plant my feet out of the rushing water, still in the water, but out of the rushing water. And I stabilize myself. And I'm holding onto the fiberglass barricade, and I think to myself, Surely I am not the only person that has ever done this. So there have to be stairs to get out of this crazy thing that I paid for. Why did I pay for this? And so then I'm holding on to the fiberglass barricade. I look around. There are no stairs any, anywhere, anywhere. So I say, okay, Lord, please help me because I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But I swing myself out into the raging rapids. I lean back into my vest. I go down into the next boom, fiberglass barricade, grab onto it again, swing around, stabilize myself. And at this point, it ceases to be funny. Like I was not laughing at this point anymore. And I said to God, okay, God, I cannot do this because it was another 300 miles to the end of the course. And I said, I cannot do that. And I stood there and I waved to Phil 
as he's going behind his tube. <laughs> hey, Phil. And then uh, I, I, I shout another prayer. Like, I, I can't do this, God. And I hear this little whisper, just tiny one, that says, turn around. And I kid you not, I turned around. And there were stairs. It was so great. <laughs> and I walk out of the thing that was leading me to my death, and then I walk on the dry land, and I'm covered in blood, and my daughters and their cousin are racing down after this great ride, and they're like, we're going to do it again, and I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> but it was one of those beautiful moments where I realized that asking for help was not a sign of weakness. That's what a moldable heart, a softened heart does when it's in trouble. So if you're in trouble today, or you know somebody who's in trouble today, encourage them or encourage yourself that saying something like, save me, Lord, that's what a softened heart does. So then, when Peter says, save me, Lord, Jesus reaches down as Peter is reaching up. He grabs Peter, pulls him out into the boat, and then he says some beautiful words. The last part of the story, that if you will let them, these words can shape your heart in a beautiful way today. Jesus says, you have such little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now, a hard heart, a hard heart hears those words, and it's like a slap on the wrist. Why didn't you trust me? You have such little faith. Why didn't you trust me? That's what a hard heart hears. But that's not what Jesus said. Because hard hearts don't hear the truth. They hear what they want to hear. Soft hearts hear the truth. And the beautiful thing about Jesus looking at Peter and saying, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? is that that very statement, in that statement, right after Peter has experienced the scariest thing of his life, that is the most beautiful statement because what Jesus is saying is, nothing phases me. Not even the scariest thing that you've been through doesn't phase me at all. Now, I would have worried if Jesus would have said to Peter when they got back in the boat, whoa, that was a close one, or I'm really not sure how that was going to go. Then you should worry. But Jesus says, why did, why did you doubt me? Now, I would have wanted to say, did you see the storm? But that doesn't faze Jesus. So no matter where you are today, no matter what you are doing or going through, when Jesus says to you, you're having little faith, why are you doubting me? It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not a, a disciplinary statement. It's not a you are bad, get it right kind of phrase. It is a statement that tells you who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that nothing phases, not even the scariest thing that you've ever been through. You can trust him. And a softened heart can hear that. A softened heart can hear that and that pressure that's applied molds and shapes your heart so that it looks like Jesus. So today, I hope that you will remember that hard hearts are angry, they're selfish, they're disobedient, they're prideful, but a softened heart 
is not easily angered. It's focused on God and others. And it's humble. And it's obedient. And when God says, don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here, you can say, if this is really you, I'm going to go with you. And he'll be there. And when the wind and waves start crashing in your life, he'll be there. And you can cry for help. And then he'll say, hey, remember next time? You can trust me. As we get ready to take communion, I want you to remember some other words that Jesus said that shape our hearts. He said things like, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. He said, this is my blood shed for you. It's a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And drink it, and every time you do, remember me. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to invite you all to come to the tables. There's two here at the front on either side. You can get your communion elements, and when you, you can either take them here at the front or back at your seats. But I'd invite you to come.